Hi everybody, thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Dream, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. Welcome to this week's Hold My Drink podcast. I have Shane Ahalt Sr. He is an author, just published his book called Out of the Red and Into the Black, a crime novel. He is a former Navy aviator, father, husband, <clears throat> all the good stuff in this world. And uh, so, so excited to have you on here, Shane. Before we start, uh, I always ask if we're having something to drink for this conversation. Well, it's good to be here. I am having something to drink, but uh, my my drink's kind of boring. Well, actually not. It's a virgin Irish coffee. How about Ooh. that? Ooh, I like that. I like that. So, yeah. So it's a, that's my, my go-to drink for a while was a virgin rum and coke. Okay. That's virgin. what I'm drinking. So now I'm drinking a virgin Irish coffee. So is a virgin rum and coke just coke? Just coke. Just coke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had a friend one time tell me he was drinking a virgin screwdriver, and I'm like, so, so orange juice. Some orange juice. Yeah. Orange juice. Yes. yes. So I'm needing to pick me up uh, later in the afternoon. It's coffee. But I did put a splash of whiskey in there, which is what I like to do to my coffee. So there, I'm, my, mine is not a virgin, <laughs> but it's not very heavy, though, so, because we've got a lot okay. of things to talk about. Okay. Um. So the first question for you, Shane, you, you just came out, you're, you're a new author. You came out with this book, Out of the Red and Into the Black. And I just want to, first question is, who is Shane? And then the second question, and you can kind of like pull this all into your, you know, one answer. How did you, this book is crazy. We've got some stuff to talk about. <laughs> but well, how um, did you become, how did you go from, first okay. of all, just tell me about you, your life, but then aviator, naval aviator to author to school teacher i mean you've got a story here that i want to hear well, it, well yeah i guess um, <laughs> <laughs> who am i, oh, that's, I you know i've never really thought about that question to answer it really i mean i i qualify with who i am by saying i'm a father yeah. and a husband that that's the most important thing of who i am to me that's that's my life my job <laughs> and then the other stuff is kind of to support that um but how did I go from, so my, when I was 12 years old, I knew I wanted to be a pilot. I was in Air Force ROTC and Colonel McNulty um, was his name. He was talking about flying inverted in the Grand Canyon in the jet airplane. And I said, wait, hold on, wait, this, you can do this? I, I want to do that. So my dream was to become a, a pilot from that moment on, really. Um, didn't become a jet pilot, became a helicopter pilot. Wasn't in the Air Force, it was in the Navy, but I loved every minute of flying. It was an incredible job, great adventure. Um, and I would probably still be doing it today if circumstances didn't call for otherwise. Some kind of family stuff, you know. Um, I was at the point in my career where I had to go on another deployment for about three years. Or, or, or get stationed over here overseas and without my wife and kids and my kids at the time were 14 and 16 mm. and i believe teenage boys need dad at home so and like i said i'm a father first a husband second and everything else kind of comes in into that so i had to go ahead and give up that career so i could be there for my kids so that's where i did that um 
And then uh, the plan was to move down to Pensacola, Florida, where my wife was from, to kind of support. She supported me for 19 years of my career to say, where do you want to go? So I wanted to bring her back home. And uh, I was a cradle of naval aviation. I'll get a job down there. And I was supposed to interview for this really nice job. And then the hiring freeze started back in 2013. Mm. So I was, my plan was to do the civilian government military support thing for about five years to get some money situation right. And then become a school teacher because when I was a pilot, I was an instructor at one point. I was pretty good at it. So I said, I'm going to go do that and give back to the community to be a school teacher. Um, so when that hiring freeze thing stopped, started, and I really couldn't get a job with the government, teaching was there. So I jumped in, um, became a math teacher. I did that for about six years. And then last summer, opportunity opened up for me to become an ROTC instructor, um, a naval aviation ROTC instructor, or they thought um, the senior naval science instructor at a school, which was a welcome change so i took that the author thing came about accidentally um i never planned on being an author i never planned on writing a book but i've written two the first one i didn't publish it needs a lot of work um <laughs> the first one wasn't an original idea it was a modern take on an old story has been told too many times of uh, the seven samurai which was the magnificent seven and, and I was kind of updating that. Um, and then this thing kind of came from, uh, it was really an accident. I went to go see a movie with my son and I, and I have always prided myself on figuring movies out during the movie. I'm like, this, this mystery, whatever, this horror movie, where this is this coming from? I was watching a movie and I was like, ah, I got this figured out, I know what's going on here. And then when I got to the end of the movie, I didn't figure it out. But I was like, man, my idea is a lot better than this. <laughs> and I have a red into the back. Black was born from that. Okay. But, you know, uh, so we can't give away too much of this because we want people to, to read it, right? We can, just, we can give some of it away, I guess. We, um, well, I'll let you give away whatever you, you – but it is uh, – how did you come – and in this answer, give away what you want to give away okay. of the book – how did you even come up with this idea? I feel like as writers, and I know you said you didn't intend to write, but as someone who writes as well, I mean, a lot of times we're speaking from, you know, some of it is, you know, fantasy in our head, but, you know, we, we put ourselves into our, into our writing. And oh, there's, so, a, there's, there's a lot of shade in that book. <laughs> there's, and, well, that's my second question. First, I need to hear why you came up with the idea, but I wanted okay. to know who you see yourself in that book. Okay. So the idea, and I mean, it, it kind of reveals itself in, in the second chapter. So I don't think I'm giving a whole lot of the second okay. chapter. Kind of, so I'm not giving a whole lot of way, way of the passing down of the tradition from family to family came from me, like I said, watching a movie where this guy was a, it was a spirit that was possessing people over time. But I, I thought it was kind of this thing where, Somebody kidnapped a child and made them a killer, and then that child became a killer, and so forth. That's what I thought it was. I was like, man, my idea is so much better, but I don't like, you know, killing for the sake of killing. Yeah. I think that's not entertaining. That's just 
versus gore and guts and all that kind of stuff. But what if there's a good reason behind it? And that's kind of where this came from. So if I'm killing for a good reason, which am I? You know, is that justified? When you read this book, is the first chapter justified and what happens throughout? That's kind of where that whole thing came from. Of all the crimes, and again, we won't give that away. I would yeah. say that might be the most justifiable. It's kind of like, have, did you, have you ever watched the show Dexter? Yes. It's very <laughs> Dexterish. It's very Dexterish. A lot of people compare it to that. It's uh-huh. very Dexterish in that way. Um, some people look at the, the, the show Supernatural and kind of. Oh, I love that show. Of, they kind of put that in there as well. Yeah. Like, okay. So I've written a book and I've always envisioned it as, of being a movie because I'm more of a view a viewer than a reader. Mm-hmm. So I, I view movies more than I read books. That's probably a bad thing to admit as an author. But as an author, kind of yeah, where, right. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of where I am. So I mean, if if you read the book, everybody says I see this as a movie. And yeah. People when they read the book, have told me there's a lot of feedback I've gotten. I can see this movie. I can see this book. You know, because mm-hmm. they say it's very visual and descriptive, so mm-hmm. they can see everything that happens. And I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> but, but yeah so well we're just yeah. talking about like how you got the idea in the first place yeah. to, you know you and you were, you were telling me about this the you know the movie that you saw um and and whether or not you know um crime you could you could find a crime that was actually worth right. so right. now go and to my yeah. well and i think this i would agree with you i think this is if there is one crime that's justified again we can talk about this too because that comes out real early in the book but there's other twists and turns that go throughout you know yeah um, but it's the final chapter that is final chapter yeah yeah and we can't let that go but we're not we're not going to give that away no um yeah (laughs) tell me though as well actually now you know before you tell me who you saw yourself in that book okay you just said that you prefer to watch than to read um, and yet you just wrote a book. I mean, so I'm guessing from what you're telling me, like writing wasn't something that you kind of felt drawn to throughout your life. It wasn't like you'd no. sit down, but all of a sudden something possessed you. Yeah, <laughs> Where you're like, really? You know, and here's the thing is I wrote this book, the heart of it, in three months. That's crazy. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't long. I wrote it in three months. I wrote it three, when I retired from the Navy. Yeah. I went to start teaching school. Um, that was end of February, beginning of March. School let out in May. I started writing that book June. I was done by the time school started. So I wrote it over that summer. And it was, I mean, the, the meat of it was there. The story was there. And then I put it up and took it down over and over again for about six years excuse me, revising it, adding a little bit of stuff here, some meat there, some other stories here, um, proofing it myself, going back and fixing some things. But but the heart of the book, the whole story was written in the first in three months. And, you know, you shouldn't admit it, that because a lot of writers are just going to like hate you right now. Well, <laughs> well book, book, book two isn't, didn't flow like that. People call for a sequel. I've started it and uh, it didn't, it hasn't, it didn't flow like that. It's not flowing like that. I have about a hundred pages written of it, but 
I got sidetracked. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. I had I got sidetracked from it, um, so I haven't been able to finish that one. But I haven't been able to dedicate a full summer to it either. So I guess that's part probably part of the problem as well. But but that book, like I said, I think it, it flowed through me more than it came out of me. Yeah, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. explain that. I mean, I think it makes sense, but explain it. It felt like it almost came from somewhere else. Really? Yeah. Like the last chapter, I didn't plan on the last chapter. Really? It, it surprised me. Oh, wow. As I was typing the chapter, I'm like, oh, wait, this is the ending of this book. This is the ending of this chapter. This is the ending of this chapter, which is the ending of the book. Right. And it wasn't, it didn't come to me until the middle of me typing the middle of the chapter. You know, they say, well, J.K. Rowling apparently dreamt Harry Potter. Right. And then started to write about, did you feel like you, like, was it a dream? I know you said you saw a movie and you're like, my idea is better. But did you, I mean, how, how did it flow through you? I mean, did it just, just, I just don't, I don't know. Like that first, that first scene came out of pent up hostility towards these people. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into it. Child sexual abuse is the worst form of people. Abusers are the worst form of people on earth. Um, And that came, okay. That came from my last job in the Navy. My last job in the Navy, I was the head of enlisted separations. So as a helicopter pilot, my my flying career was over. I was a commander in the Navy. Um, That's when they kind of put you out to pasture and they send you to a desk job and I'm at a desk job. And my desk job was overseeing all the enlisted separation programs in the Navy, including don't ask, don't tell when it existed. I was here for the transition to making don't ask, don't tell go away. Um, but one of my side jobs was monitored through a thing called the Family Advocacy Center. I had to monitor and read about every child sexual abuse case that was reported in the Navy and follow that case from the beginning to the end. Mm. So, and every one of those I read made my skin crawl. I'd have to close my office door when I read them because a lot of times I didn't know crying about what I was reading and it would anger me. And I kept saying there's a 38 cent solution to these problems. That was, you know, it's about the cost of 30 <laughs> around mm-hmm. 38 cent solution mm-hmm. to these problems. And so to me, that's the lowest form of humanity. Yeah. And so that, and anything that happens to them is kind of justifiable in my part, even this stuff that goes yeah. on in this book. Yeah. 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 All right. So, th- so that leads to my next question of who do you see? So I kept on from our earlier conversations as I'm reading it and you and I've had, you know, a few conversations, I kept on trying to see who you were in this. Cause yeah. we all, we all write, I mean, maybe you were several people in there. Right. But I think our personality yeah. come out in some of our heroes and um, even villains in our, in our books. So who do you think that you most related to in that book and why? There are pieces of me, I think, really in Brian and Coach H. More Coach H than anything. I I thought Coach H H as well. Um I also saw you in um uh one of the one of the cops. The name is blanking on me right now. Um the the cop who, Caldwell? Caldwell. Chief Caldwell. Caldwell. Yeah, Chief Caldwell, yeah. 
I saw. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't decide. It was between Caldwell and and, and Coach H. No, there's not a whole lot of me and and, and she. I mean, I mean, yeah, I have some of the moralities and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the characters are my characters. They come from what I feel, really. And so yeah. there's a lot of me in all of them. But I think really, Coach H is really more me than anybody because it kind of. I could talk about the things that there's a partner he talks about, you know, running with the football team and used to run with the running backs. And now he's running with the linemen. And I, I, I feel that. I mean, that's yeah. true. I mean, 53 years old, you know, when I first started teaching, I was, I was 46. And, and, you know, I had lost a step or two at 46. Now I'm 40, 53. And I've lost another step. I went out and was racing kids <laughs> a month ago. And they're all blowing me away. And I'm like, this is not right. <laughs> This is not right. And there's a Coach H partner. He talks about that as well. So, I mean, I, I, that's really where it comes from. Yeah. I, a lot of him and me. And, yeah. So. And the coach, too. I can now talking to you since we started talking today um, as a father figure. He plays more into the place as a father figure than, than right. um, Chief Caldwell. So, I can see. Yeah. But it's funny because as soon as I started to read Coach H, I'm like, I wonder – you know, if Shane sees him, I don't know. We always play yeah. our, our roles into our writing, you know, right, our own experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So tell me then, you know, for me personally, I talk a lot about, um, I speak power to racial issues um, and all kinds of diversity issues. What do you right. see in your writing? Um, you know, there, there are some issues of racism in, in your writing. Mm-hmm. Your own experience with that and how did that <laughs> writing at, if it played into it at all? Oh, a lot. Um, you know, being a, per- a person that's biracial, you know, my mother's African-American, my father's Caucasian. So, you know, and then I'm married to a black woman and I have two black sons in today's society and I live in the South. So, yeah, there's some racial components going on that influence my writing. That influence in that influence everything that I do, you know, throughout. Um, you know, and there's some hiccups in that in, in the book that have to do with some racism and stuff like that. So I've kind of brought that my my feelings about a lot of those individuals in there as well. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of stuff gets pulled in. Like I said, you know, the book wrote itself, but a lot of me is in that book. A lot of my experiences are in that book, you know, and a lot of different things that go on are in that book, you know, and that I talk about the first book that I wrote that I haven't published yet. That I kind of really needed to do a big rewrite. There's a lot of it in that because that's what I was going through at the time that I wrote that book. A lot of issues were going through that my kids were going through at the time were, are in that book, you know, being the two of four biracial, two of four black kids in a private school that they were going to at the time um, was more difficult on them than I thought it was going to be. And then it had to be you know, some of the stuff that they dealt with in, in that school um, was in that other book. And some of it is in kind of important to this as well. You know, I, I have to say um, that's where I kind of picked up just knowing that we were going to have this conversation and, you know, I would not have read race into your book necessarily um, at all, except for I did like one part. And this is why I kind of brought up chief Caldwell was because his big thing was as, as a black chief, he, right. you know, he was, there was a question of whether or not he should be a cop because, you know, he, he's seen you know, racism, but he was like, I'm going to do it because I, you know, like he's called to do it right, and to do it differently. Right. right. Um, and I really, 
I appreciated that. And I, I want to ask you as someone who has been in the Navy, so someone who has been in a, a position of authority, uh, now ROTC coach, and, and obviously add author to that. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, where I get disappointed in our conversations on race sometimes today is a lot of times when people start, uh, particularly, I would say, white Americans. Um, I don't, I really, I hate the separation, but I think that a lot of times when they, you know, the, the, the white allies and whatnot, when they talk about race, there's this almost infantilizing of black Americans, um, where it's assumed that if you're black, you're poor, if you're black, you know, um, you don't, you didn't grow up with a great education. And I see so many people, yourself included, who have just bucked those trends, bucked those, those stereotypes, um, and, and I, so I'm always interested in the stories of like uplift and resiliency. And, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm talking to someone who exudes uplift and resiliency right now, you know, I <laughs> well, mean, you know, like, it, it was, it was never, it was never an option not to be, you know, yeah. I was raised, I was raised with two, two parents in the household. I, I knew my father. <laughs> I love my father. He's still alive today. As a matter of fact, I need to call him today. I'm supposed to be like <laughs> a week. So, well, I'll do that phone call. Um, and, and they kept telling me, you are going to go to college. You're, you're going to go to college, son. Neither one of my parents went to college. In fact, I was the first person really on both sides of my family to graduate college. Many of them tried. Many of them went. I was the first one to graduate college. Mm-hmm. Um, with all my aunts and uncles and cousins and all that kind of stuff. Some have gone after me, but I was the first one to do it. But that was, it was not an option for me not to. Um, that was drilled into my head over and over and over again. The funny thing is, though, when I graduated high school and said, hey, I have a 3.5 GPA, I'm the president of the National Honor Society, vice president of my class, I graduated number three in my class, which I should have been number one, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> I'm still bitter about this. When, you're, when I'm taking calculus and you're taking general math, Oh, <laughs> I've got I've got that story too. Go on though. Where he's waited back in the day. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so when I graduated, I went to my parents. I'm ready to go to college. They're like, "All right, well, we ain't got no money. Get a scholarship or do something." So I was kind of left on my own to figure out how I was going to do that. Um, and the Navy at the time gave me what's called a three-year guarantee. All I had to do is go to University of Maryland for one year, maintain mm-hmm. a 3.0 GPA, and they would have given me three-year scholarship. And my parents didn't have the money to send me there for one year. So I didn't take it. I ended up enlisting in the Navy and reapplied for a scholarship a couple years later and got a scholarship a couple years later. And that's, you know, went to George Washington University Took me four and a half years to graduate because I was an engineering student and engineering curriculum and the ROTC requirements don't really marry up. Yeah. Um, so I had to take an extra semester, graduated from there and got my commission and, you know, the rest is kind of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it was, it was never an option for me not to, not to go to college. It was never an option for me to fail. My mm-hmm. parents weren't, weren't going to allow it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then my brother was six years, my junior, they're like, uh, yeah, you need to figure out what trade you want to be, which I think is kind of wrong. Um, it's not that he wasn't smart. He just wasn't book smart and wasn't motivated to be mm-hmm. do well in school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and unfortunately, he was taken from us way too young. Um, Sorry. But at the time, he was working three jobs. He wasn't a bum. 
Like, dude was going to work. He's going to work his butt off. In fact, the last time I saw him, he's like, hey, man, I need you to come down to Florida and visit me. He said, all right, well, what I can do is I can work all three of my jobs for two weeks. That way I can take off all my jobs for one week. I was like, okay, man, however that math works out, cool. But, uh, you know, I want to see. So, again, he was not going to – him not being successful wasn't an option. His route was just going to be different. He was going to have to work harder, you know work harder i think right. you know so yeah. but yeah those stereotypes, those stereotypes bug the mess out of me too because a lot of people i know know are college educated. and here's the funny thing is my son pointed this out to me he's 23 years old he said dad he's like well i'm like why he goes look at stereotypes ours are reversed i said what do you mean my wife's father mm-hmm. the african-american he got a college degree in the 60s. My father, he was Caucasian, grew up in a boy's home, you know, single mom, trying to live paycheck to paycheck, all that kind of stuff. Was was dirt poor, you know, and everybody talks about stereotypes being this. It, that was completely reversed. Mm-hmm. The whole this script was was flipped, so to speak. So 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 our family is kind of really the one. If, if people want to say this is what a black family is, why why I look over here? Yeah. It's kind of not exactly what, like you said, you know, the stereotypes are by seeds. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what I find, you know, damaging about kind of our public narrative right now is that assumption that um, there's this failure in, in Black society. And I see the exact opposite. I see this amazing, particularly throughout history. I'm working right now with a co-author of mine, um, not on a book. We're doing an alternative 1619 reading guide. And one of the things that we thought that the 1619 project failed in, which I'm not sure if you've read it, but you know, I have, I, I haven't. And it's, okay. It's probably, it's probably bad on me being a teacher, but <laughs> I've been a math teacher, so I was focused right. on, I've been so focused on making sure you know algebra. Right. Uh, that I haven't had a chance to really look at that yet. Well, you're, 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 you're excuse me, but you're, <laughs> I think it's fascinating because I actually am really so glad that it came out because it does talk about how we're not talking about black history and that right. much i am so in agreement with the problem and we don't and we just talk about you know black history goes back before slavery oh yeah well, well yeah there's that right. too. But, there's, but, there's, but america but america it's it's slavery it's it's you know it's it's, it's harriet tubman martin luther king barack obama that's it that's that's black history yes and so <laughs> you know it's not massa musa uh, uh Oh, man, I can't think of his name. <laughs> Bill Timbuktu. Um, I have to think. Musa is his last name. I can't think of his first name. But that's why I mean, that's 1400. He's the richest man ever to live the world. Walked mm-hmm. the face of the planet. You know, he was equivalent to $40 billion at the time, you know, where he went on a journey and gave up so much gold to the city that he was in. He caused a recession. Mm-hmm. you know, in, in the area because uh, he was so rich and wealthy. But we don't talk about that, no. you know. No. We don't go back and look at, you know, um, Kush, mm-hmm. the pyramids of Kush that predate the Egyptian pyramids. And mm-hmm. all, we don't talk about black history like that, you know, no. and stuff that's going on in Ethiopia and how Ethiopia is a country that's never been conquered by outside lands. Yeah. Regardless yeah. of what has happened in there, yeah. you know. So... I agree. I agree. And, and, and I guess this is my problem is that I, while I appreciate the conversation, 
what I feel like, again, that the 1619 project seems to speak or pretends to speak with uh, a single black American voice, which A, I think is just- Well, there isn't one. There right. isn't one. I think, and I think that in itself is almost, you know I mean? Like I wouldn't assume just, yeah, that's, re that, that's ridiculous. But B, it also speaks from a voice and that one American voice is one of oppression and grievance. And so what I've been doing is like showing like, I mean, to me as a white person looking from the outside in and I see what the hardship, and I've read the books on slavery, the hard ones, you know, not right. the, <laughs> not the ones that, you know, that are, you know, 10 pages long and tell you, I mean, the hard ones. Right. Um, and I mean, horribly brutal, but yet there was so much like, the fact that the, 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 the overcoming and the up, so all those things are things that I think we need to know, but right. I'm also, what fascinates me is the overcoming, is the, the, the uplift, is the resilience and that it didn't talk about that too. And I felt like right. those things that's a, that's, put together. Right. That is a major part of black society and culture is that despite everything, right. Black people are still here. And thriving. And, and thriving. And, and, and influencing. And I mean, pop culture is black culture. And writing crime novels. Crime right? <laughs> 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 novels. You know, you know, music is so influenced by black people across the board. It's, it's, I mean, everything, sports, every sport. Yeah. I mean, there's black hockey players. You know? <laughs> um, so it's like everything across the board. And everybody wants to go and point to welfare, or the crime, or, you know, God forbid when black people are killed by cops and all that kind of stuff. And all, Yeah, that's all part of it. But even with all of that, you know, mm -hmm. one of the things that I find great comfort in, it's just so funny, and my wife and I talk about this all the time, is black Twitter. Okay, tell me about it. It is hilarious. The comments... <laughs> That even though this thing happened or this horrible thing happens, that black people can find humor even in that. And it's, you know, I, I can't think of examples today. You know, I haven't looked mm -hmm. at it today, but I'm sure if you go on there right now, I haven't been on Twitter in a minute, but if you go on Twitter right now and look, you know, in black Twitter stuff, there's going to be some comments about the stuff that just happened in Minnesota, yeah. you know, about you, you, what you can't tell the difference between a taser and a gun. I mean, come oh. on. Well, white people you are know, laughing about that too, I'll tell you. You know, but I mean, it's unfortunately, nothing to laugh about. A man was killed over it. But but the humor that black people find in these instances is amazing to me that you can find humor in that. Humor, you know? The thing is, I hope that we can find humor eventually together yeah. because it seems like we've, because I think humor is healing. Humor is a bomb. Um, but Oh, absolutely. I, I'll tell you a quick story. Case yeah. of point was, and this is this is this is really funny, and I hope that I don't think she'll ever see this, but um, <laughs> we'll see. So when my my brother was was killed, he was killed in a, in a case of mistaken identity. Somebody shot him, and uh, a week later, we we're going to we went up at the uh, mortuary trying to pick out his cremated, trying to pick out his urn. And it was me and my mother, her sister, and then my aunt, who was my dad's brother's wife, she was there. And she was the lone Caucasian in the room. 
And uh, so we're all sitting there, and they're bringing out all these urns and this this box and this ornament, you know, all these different urns. I'm like, none of these are my brother, you know. And I can't remember who it was. I think it was me. I said, can we just put them in a 40 ounce, you know? And it was just like, in that moment, my mother, I mean, she had been crying her eyes out. So the worst thing that I think any person can go through is the loss of a child. Any parent with this loss of her child. In that moment, she laughed so hard, you know, and I started laughing because there's, I was finally able to see the relief in her eyes. I was able to start laughing. And of course, her sister started laughing. My wife started laughing. And across of it all, my aunt is sitting there and she looked so annoyed and appalled that we would be laughing in a situation like this, you know. And it was just, that kind of accentuates kind of the point. It's like, even in this tragedy, we're going to find humor. We're going to find humor in it, you know. Um, and it might not happen on the other side of my family, so to speak, that we may not find the humor here, you know. But um, that's one of the things I've been really impressed with and, and learned to embrace and see more of the older I get, you know. As, like I said, I'm, I'm a biracial individual. You bring out, break out the whole chart and everything. I'm more Caucasian than I am Black, but society kind of says, you know, that drop of Black blood kind of thing. Um, that can really identify more as African American. Um, but yeah, that's just one of the things that our, our culture is really great to embrace and see is that, that humor aspect and resiliency. Yeah, but I see. I I think I'm afraid, Shane, that we've lost some. At least together as a group, maybe you know we've got humor in in black communities and humor in white communities. But across the communities, we used to be able to poke fun of each other. We used to be able to poke fun at stereotypes, you know. And now it's like we're so afraid. If I say the wrong thing. Did you think it was funny? Did I make a mistake? And someone might not think it was funny because I think we've gotten into a sense of um, we're all looking for offense and we're all so easy, so easily outraged. So my fear is, I think that you're absolutely, I think humor is a way to get past it, but everyone's afraid to use humor. Oh yeah, it is. Except for Dave Chappelle. Except for Dave, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, we need more Dave Chappelle. But oh, you know, man, Dave Chappelle for president. If know, Dave Chappelle is- wasn't Dave Chappelle, if it was you or me saying those things. Right. Well, it was particularly <laughs> if it was me. <laughs> He's a brilliant man. He is. He knows his history. We'll sit there and explain to you the history. Mm-hmm. They'll tell you a story, a historical story, and have you laughing about the historical story in the end. Mm-hmm. And you can't be mad at him because what he just told you is everything is fact. You know, so it's not it's not a stereotypical thing. He doesn't do a stereotype. So, you know, he comes back and he does it. And the thing is, um, you know, I, and my youngest son is an aspiring comedian, at least he was at one point. And I don't have to talk to him to see if he's going to pick up that mantle again. He kind of put it down just before the, the pandemic. Um, but, you know, it was one of the things It's like, hey, if I haven't offended you, hold on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm not done with my routine yet. Give me a or second. If you, or if you think I'm picking on you, just wait. I'm going to get the guy next to you. You know? So I'm, I'm equally offensive to everybody. Right. And, and I think... I think we need more of that. Oh, we need more of that. And, and there's got to be some sort of license and creativity that 
that we can make those jokes yeah. and we can say those things, yeah. you know. Um, but I think as long as you're not dwelling on one individual continually or one segment of society continually, continually poking fun at or making fun of, you know, if we can all laugh together at ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and others, then yeah, right. I think it's okay. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, we need to be able to laugh at ourselves. Mm-hmm. To be able to laugh at each other and we're just we're, we're, we take things so seriously um but yeah well i'm almost done with my coffee it has been such a, a pleasure tell me you know what is the next before i let you go what is your next um book going to be about my next adventure yeah when my next thing um well with the book I've gotten an audio book now that just came out April 1st. So I'm real kind of excited about that. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, my hope, my dream is if anybody's out there watching, it's a movie producer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. That's, that's where I would love to go with this. Some sort of get it, get it, get a visual, some sort of visual media, whether it's a movie, yeah. a TV series, some, because it lends itself to being a series. I mean, really yeah. look at that's what my son said, like the supernatural, they do this. All the time they're doing the demon thing all the time. You can kind of flip this mm-hmm. and do this every, mm-hmm. you know, every, it's like, so that, um, I love you know, supernatural, see, by the way, tell your son. Yeah. I mean, I love supernatural. My yeah. son and I, well, I, think, I think he, I think, I think he and his brother watched like, you know, they're 23 and 21 now. I don't think, you know, they started watching like five years ago, but I think that show's been off like 15 years. Oh my gosh. Totally. So they like, excuse me. So I think they Netflix a bunch of them to get all caught up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's watching the past couple of years or not. I don't even know if it's still on or not. But it is. It is. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They just yeah. finished that, like the last season, I think this past, like pre-pandemic, but like just okay. before the pandemic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't know if he, if he still watches or not, but they watched a lot of it together. Um, but yeah, I can see that happening. Uh, and then the sequel. And then, I don't know, I might build a car. Yeah. <laughs> Because why not? Because uh, why not? You I know, mean, I, I have so many interests. It's just, that, that's one of the things, too, is with me. It's like, you know, who is, who is Shane A. Who is he today? You know, who is it? Who am I, who am I today? My degree is mechanical engineering. I've never used it. I went to school and majored in mechanical engineering because I got a 750 verbal on the SATs and a uh, 750 math on the SATs mm-hmm. and a 410 verbal. So I can always do calculus in my head, but I can't spell it. You know, so, um, but I went to college. The only reason I went to college is to get a commission so I could become a pilot. So the easiest way for me to do that, the easiest way for me to do that is become an engineer, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, okay. So, uh, but I've never used my engineering skills. So I've never designed anything. I've never built anything. And um, I am a velocity channel addict. My wife comes in and says, what are they doing? They bend in tubes and welding stuff together again. They get it. (laughs) Yeah, that's what they're doing. It's like, don't be surprised when you see a welder and some tubes bent out in the garage because that's what I may end up doing next. I don't know. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope time. book comes into a movie because that would be so much. I, I think there's so much drama. So, if you okay. if you could have your book into a movie, do you know who you'd want to direct it or who you'd want to star in it? Um, have you thought about that? Well, I mean, come on, who doesn't want Denzel in their movie? <sighs> yeah, of course. Right. Oh my um, gosh. But also, oh. I also thought I thought like Tate Diggs would be a good 
uh, Chief Caldwell. Let's do that. Let's make that happen. Let's make that happen. Make I was like happen. thinking, I was thinking if there was a role for me in there, I'm like, nope, nope, nope. You could be one of the you could be one of the FBI. Uh, oh, I could be an FBI agent. I don't I don't want to be Agent Rigby. You could be Agent Rigby. Okay. I don't want to be one of the creases or anyone who like gets no. like yeah. No, no. Who are bad. Oh, people. Here's the fun, yeah. The funny thing about this is there aren't many made up names in that book. Mm-hmm. They're all really combinations of names. Uh-huh. Like Hort, Horton is my mother's maiden name. Okay. So that just flew in there. And, uh, you know, um, Reggie's Reggie. There's really a Reggie uh-huh. in my life. There's like, he's like my adoptive kind of godson. He's in there. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Deputy Childress is this kid that I knew in Tennessee. I put him in there. Yeah, so a lot of stuff, a lot of people in there, people, but the people that get um, uh, killed, murdered, are people that have one way or another that their names, either first or last names, treated my children poorly. Ooh. Ooh, yeah, there's okay. a spin for I, you. I, yeah, there's a, yeah. There's a spin for you, like in real uh-huh. life, the, uh-huh. those people with those names. Treated my children poorly, so it's like, who am I going to kill? Oh, this guy's name right there. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's I'm kinda, hilarious. I'm kind of, yeah, kind of. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Like, we like all that. put ourselves into our stories, right. you know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like you said, even the story of like you know child abuse, the the fact of you had to deal with that and see that every single day as being mm-hmm. kind of the um, origin of your crime novel makes complete sense. I, I mean, there's always something more. I love right. hearing the stories right. of authors because you know that there's like, there's something in there, you know? But I have to tell yeah. you, I have to tell you, I write so much nonfiction, right? I told you writing on like the 16, 19 and whatnot. I love, I am not- oh, a, please, please I, share that with me once you're done. Okay, I will. Yeah. Um, okay. I love, um, fiction love fiction and I, lo- I told you i love supernatural i love the show supernatural yeah. so i mean i love i enjoyed your book i like crime novels i like stephen king i like you know I mean, I like- I mean, yeah, stephen king is it there's, yeah, just, there's, right. there's stephen king and then there's everybody else right i love this but hey, I'll, I- tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you for me one of the greatest compliments i had okay and i'm mm. sorry i digress but mm. um so I was, I was mailing books off because people are like one books one books one books one mm-hmm. books. so I was mailing books off, and I kept on going to the post office, and this guy working at the post office, one of the postal workers, like, what, what's this book you keep mailing off? Oh, that's a book I wrote. And he's like, you got any more copies? I was like, yeah, I got one. He's like, buy one? So I bought it. He bought it. And then a couple weeks later, I went in to go mail some more books. He's like, dude. He's like, yeah. He goes, I read your book. He said, look, I'm going to tell you something. I was reading a Stephen King book, and I stopped reading it to read your book, and I'm glad I did. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you, King, I mean, Stephen King is it? Is right. It, yeah, for me, yeah. But yeah. well, it's funny because like, and I love like you know Harry Potter. I mean, I just love fantasy and I love that and I love crime and Stephen King. Right. But I write nonfiction and I read people who write fiction. And I'm jealous because that's just not what I was put on the earth to do. I mean, I just right. don't have that creativity. I, I, I'm, I'm a good writer. I have that. I, I, I like to think. I mean, I'm not patting myself on the back. Right. Yeah. I'm working to be a good writer. But I just, I, I 
marvel at people who can write novels because I'm like, I just, those twists and those turns and everything. I do too. Then pat yourself on the back because you succeeded. Yeah, my name's on the book, but like I said, it flowed through me. It came from somewhere else. Even the second book, when I started writing it, it came from somewhere else, and then that thing kind of went away for a little bit. So I got a. My wife had some health issues, and and so I've kind of like been trying to take care of her, make sure that's right. But now that's all in upswing. Everything's kind of on up and up, and. June is right around the corner, so I may end up actually finishing the steeple um, this summer. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, yeah, but, every, everyone gets a yeah. pass on 2020. <laughs> yeah, 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 2020. Did <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh well, Shane, I'll let you get back to your your life and your family. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, learning it's, more it's, about the book and getting to know you. And I hope that we keep this conversation going. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website, where you can find what each of us is reading every week, different news with different views. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, drop us a line. And join us next week as we say, Hold My Drink, and the conversation gets real.